Last Sunday, we started a brand new series called Elijah-sha. And don't worry if you have a hard time saying that or spelling it because it's not a real word. We made it up. We are going to be covering the stories and the lives of these two prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha. And their stories flow into each other's, and so we just smushed their names together, called it Elijah-sha, and here we go. I am, I'm so excited about this story for so many different reasons, but, but one of the biggest reasons I'm excited to talk about this here together for the next several months, and we'll probably take some breaks here and there, is because this, this sort of illustrates why I get excited just to read the Bible in general, just to study God's Word on my own. You know, the Bible is not God, so we don't worship a book, we don't worship the Bible, but the Bible, God's Word, it is His revelation to us. And as a, as a person, I might be able to make observations about life. I might be able to make very astute and maybe even profound observations about life. Many people do. And that's awesome. That's, that's, it's great when someone makes a powerful observation about life. But never settle for the observations of, of people when you can have the revelation of God. Never settle for what a person can observe when you can, when you can understand what, what only God can reveal. Because trust me, there are things that only God can reveal. There are things about you, about life, that only God can show you. No one else, no one else knows, no one else understands. You need to hear from God. When we open up God's word and we explore it, we open up ourselves and our hearts and our minds to what only God can reveal. And sometimes in in church, especially as churches get bigger and and, and more modern or whatever you want to call it, the Bible becomes more and more auxiliary. It just becomes this thing that occasionally is brought up and used and a few verses are kind of peppered in and, and we, we maybe come to this conclusion that the Bible's you know, it's great and there's good stuff in there, but it's kind of like you got to pan for gold, you know, that there, there's some really good nuggets of, of truth in there that are practical, but they're really hard to find and it's just like you need someone that really understands it to, to show you the little things in there that are actually helpful. The opposite is true. As we mature and as we grow as, as Jesus followers, when we open up God's word and we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what he wants to reveal to us. It's more like drinking from a fire hose where you have to shut it sometimes and be like, enough. I gotta deal with, I gotta chew on this for a while before I can move to anything else. That's really how it is. And so as we study Elijah and Elisha, that's really what we're we're doing together. We're just opening up God's word and, and reading a little bit at a time and going, what does this say about life now? What does this have to say to me in my life today? Because I'm telling you, every single page of scripture is packed It is packed with the profound, the powerful, and the practical. Every page. And I love alliteration, and there were a lot of P words there. So I'm saying every page is packed with the powerful, the profound, and the practical. Okay? It really is. And I want us to experience that as we go through this. And by the way, if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, it's not a decision that you've made in your life. You're either here because you're curious or because someone dragged you along. Uh, You're here against your will. By the way, if you're in trouble, let us know. We, We don't want that to be the case. But... Even if, if you haven't, someone just said, geez, like, what does he say? Why does he say things like that? I don't know. I've been wondering my whole life why a lot of things come out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> but, but even if you haven't made that decision to be a Jesus follower, I want you to understand that we, we don't just want to invite you into this adventure of life that God has invited us into. We want to invite you into the depths of what God has for you. Like, there's a depth that we get with God that's unlike anything else in the world. And so we don't just want you to experience, you know, Jesus. Like you check off the box and, and move on. Like, yeah, I had some Jesus. No, we want, you to, we want to invite you into the full depth 
of life that God has for you. And that, that's something that we all grow in when we open up the Bible and say, God, teach us. And so that's what we're going to do. Last week, we met Elijah for the first time as he shows up in Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. He just comes like out of nowhere. The Bible says, now Elijah, who is from Tishbe and Gilead. By the way, Gilead, middle of nowhere. Tishbe, middle of nowhere. So in other words, what the Bible is saying is, now Elijah, this nobody from nowheresville, okay, he shows up. And he's talking to King Ahab, who is the king of Israel at this time. And here's what he says to Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. That is a bold thing to say to a king. Like, God better have told you to say that if you're going to go to a king and say that. And we went through this last week, in case you weren't here, just to give you some understanding. This is not God, like, being angry and just spiting people for the heck of it. It's not what's happening here. Uh, Ahab has married this woman named Jezebel, and she is a passionate worshiper of a Phoenician god known as Baal, a little g god that was worshipped in Phoenicia, that's where Jezebel's from, and Ahab has been very heavily influenced by Jezebel, and he has started to worship Baal, in fact, he has built a temple to Baal in Samaria, which was the capital city of Israel at this time, he's built a temple to Baal in Israel, and he has really deemed that all Israel should worship Baal, when the king builds a temple to a, a god, that's the king saying, this is our official religion now. And so all of Israel has really followed Ahab's lead, and they are worshiping Baal. It just so happens that Baal was the Phoenician god of rain. Baal was the one the Phoenicians believed made it rain. And so here you have Ahab and all of Israel praying to Baal for rain, abandoning worshiping God, the provider of everything, and saying, Baal, make it rain, Baal, make it rain, and offering their sacrifices and their worship for that. And, and God speaks to Elijah, this prophet. He says, hey, go tell Ahab that I'm going to give Ahab exactly what he wants. I'm going to let Baal handle the rain for a while. And so Elijah shows up and tells King Ahab, hey, keep you know, worshiping Baal and serving Baal if you want to. God is going to let you see exactly who Baal is and exactly who he is. This is not just some random thing God is doing. He is he's teaching Ahab and all of Israel a very important lesson. Do not put your faith in a little g God. Do not do that. And that's something for all of us. Never put your faith in, in a God who, who is smaller than your trouble. Put your faith in the real God, the only God, the God that is so big that when you bring your trouble to him, he looks at it and goes, yeah, I can handle that. So that's what happened last week. And now immediately after he has this confrontation with Ahab, God speaks to him again. It says, then the Lord said to Elijah, go. In other words, run. You know, you just gave the king some really bad news. He is not a good king. The Bible says he's the worst king Israel has ever had up to this point. And God says, go. Like, get out. He says, go to the east and hide by the Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I've commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. And then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. Okay, so there's a lot happening here, and let's, let's unpack this. Believe it or not, this scripture is, is jam-packed with a really practical, practical, powerful truth for us. And it answers a very important question that we all deal with in life, that we all deal with multiple times in life. Some of us might be dealing with this in a big way today. The question is, what do we do when a door closes in our lives? How do we respond when we encounter closed doors. I'm not talking about literal doors. Like if you go home and the door to your restroom 
is closed, just open it. Just go in. Like, I'm not talking about that, right? We all know the metaphor of, of when a door closes, when you're pursuing something in life and you have some idea of what you want to do and what you want to be and, and you give it your all and you go in that direction and all of a sudden, inexplicably, sometimes very confusingly and, and frustratingly, the door is closed. What do you do? That's what this, this scripture teaches us. But we need to unpack it a little bit. Now, number one, we learn that Elijah goes, he flees Ahab, he has to because Ahab will kill him if he stays. He flees from Ahab and he goes to a place called Kareth Brook. We don't know exactly where that is, but it tells us that it was east of the Jordan River. It was probably close to where, where Elijah had grown up, somewhere in the Gilead region. And so here's a map of ancient Israel at this time. The yellow at the top is the kingdom of Israel. The, the kind of pinkish, purplish color, is that, I'm like half colorblind. Is that pinkish and purplish? Yeah, all right, so shouldn't have asked. The, the pinkish and purplish color at the bottom, that's Judah. Remember that Israel, we talked about this last week, has split into two different nations. So you've got Judah in the south, and Jerusalem is the capital city there. You've got Israel in the north, and Samaria is the capital city there. And so Samaria is where, is where Elijah confronts Ahab, and then God says, get out, go to the east, east of the Jordan River. So here's kind of the path that Elijah probably takes. And guys, if you want to go ahead and pull that up there. You know, we got a little Indiana Jones dotted line, you know. We could play the music if we wanted to. Bum, 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 bum. I love that movie. Okay, so, so he goes east of the Jordan River. Now, on a map, on a screen like that, it looks small. That looks like a small journey, you know. And, and in our world, it would be. Get in your car, take a drive, maybe get an airplane, and it's like nothing. But we're talking about 3,000-ish years ago, you know, on foot, maybe with a camel, maybe. And so this is a perilous, long journey. And he goes to Kareth Brook. Kareth Brook. And that sounds like a really nice place, you know. Like, oh, you guys want to come with me to, to Kareth? But Kareth is actually, someone said, yes, okay, why not? Let's figure it out. It's going to be a long, we've got to fly to Israel, and, uh, you know, airfare is expensive, so I don't know if you really mean yes when you say yes, but whatever. So Kareth actually comes from a, a Hebrew word that means to separate or to cut off, okay? Not super pleasant sounding, right? Like if you're booking a vacation and you get online, you go to Travelocity and you find a place called Separation Bay, you tell your family, hey guys, we're going to take a trip to Separation Bay. You're like, I don't know about that. Like it could be a good thing, maybe not. Or, or, or what if you found a place like, honey, come here, look, there's a place called Cutoff Island. Let's go to Cutoff Island and have a good time. You'd be like, I don't, what's getting cut off? I don't, I don't like the idea of that. And so this is not, what I'm saying is this is not some, some pleasant place. This is not some like resort town that Elijah is going to. He's going to the middle of nowhere. He's going to a place that is so cut off, so separate, so remote, that he will be safe from Ahab. It's a long journey, and he's by himself, but that's okay, right? He's provided for. And we kind of have a tendency when we read the Bible to read over some, some things that are miraculous, but to read over them so quickly that we don't actually let it sink in, and we don't really take into account what's actually happening. So it's said that Elijah goes to Kareth Brook, and while he's at Kareth Brook, God sends you know, ravens to, to bring him food. And we can read that and be like, wow, that's so cool. You know, I almost picture like a, a Disney scene, you know, in Disney movies when the princess opens the window, and like the birds come in, and, and the birds like will sit on the princess's hand and they'll sing together, and sometimes animals in Disney movies help the princess make a dress or something like that, you know, the mice or whatever. And, and that's what we kind of picture, like, oh, what a sweet moment. Here's, a, here's Elijah, he's waking up at Kareth, and he's in the middle of nowhere, and he's separate from everyone he knows, but no big deal, because he's got birds, and they're, they're showing up, and they're bringing him food and all that. But, like, number one, in those Disney movies, it's not ravens, okay? 
It's like bluebirds, cardinals, little finches. Like, have you ever seen a raven? Like, we have a picture of a raven, okay? This is a raven. Like, when you wake up in the morning and you're hungry for breakfast, this is not who you want to see delivering your food, okay? Ravens are disgusting. And I don't even think if ravens had feelings, they could be offended. I think if a raven was here right now, he'd be like, yeah, we are. You know, because they're scavengers, number one. They're scavenger birds. That's how they, they feed. They're scavengers. They're often in history and in literature associated with death and disease. Like, these are for a reason. It's, it's a raven. And it says that it's bringing Elijah bread and meat. Like, I just want you to picture this for a second. Get out of your mind this idea that Elijah's off on some oasis like vacation. I mean, he's, he's in a terrible place. He's at this, this place called Carrot that's cut off and it's separate. And, and the only thing keeping him alive is that God is sending him ravens, ravens. And in the morning, they're bringing him bread and meat. Like, I want you to think about this. And you're in a park and you're hanging out at the park and you're by yourself and you're hungry and all of a sudden a raven comes and sits next to you on the park bench that you're sitting on and it goes like, ah, and meat. Like meat is sitting next to you on the park bench. Would any one of us go, thank you, Lord, breakfast. I was just getting hungry. You know me so well, God. Like, I'd be sitting there going, what, where did this come from? You know? Like, this is raw meat delivered by a raven. And Elijah is going to stay alive by eating that. God is so good to us, because we're not Elijah right now, okay? Like, Seriously. And I think probably the saving grace for Elijah is that he lived 3,000 years ago before they knew what a germ was. And so for him, he's probably like, meat, sweet. But like for us, that'd be hard. So Elijah's not in some, some fairy tale wonderful place. He's in a really difficult place. This is not a fun season in his life. But thankfully, his needs are met. God is providing for him. He's not going to starve to death. He has, he has food to eat. He has water to drink. That is until the brook dries up. And that had to be so frustrating for Elijah because he's obeyed God and he's gone where, where God has told him to go and he's cut off and he's separate and he's got ravens bringing him meat and bread. And that's probably when the first vegan, Elijah was probably the first vegan. Like he's like, I'm not eating bread or meat ever again. I'm inventing this whole new diet now uh, because of that experience. But the brook dries up. And if you're Elijah, you're sitting there going like, really God? I mean, you're God. You're, you're the God of wonders. You can, you can literally like, make miracles happen on command. You have fed me miraculously through birds for a long period of time, and you couldn't even keep this brook going. It's not even a river, it's a brook. And the brook dries up, and God says, Elijah, I need you to go again. I need you to go to a place called Zarephath. Now, we'll bring this map up again, our little Indiana Jones map, and we know that he went from Samaria all the way to where he was at at Kareth Brook. We don't know exactly where that was, and now he's going from there all the way up to Zarephath, the very, very top of your map, and here's what's really interesting about that, is Zarephath is not in Israel. Zarephath is in Phoenicia. It happens to be like right next to the city of Sidon where Jezebel is from. He's in this whole mess because he has just offended King Ahab and Jezebel by calling Baal out and saying that Baal isn't real. And now God's like, hey, I know you don't have any water to drink, uh, but like, don't worry, I'm sending you to Zarephath to like the home turf of all the Baal worshipers. And Elijah must be thinking, God is crazy. Like, what is God doing? But Elijah goes. And this is a, an incredibly long journey for him. By the time he's done going from Samaria to the Kareth Brook all the way to 
uh, Zarephath. I mean, we're, we're talking miles and miles of treacherous, difficult journey. And I admire greatly that Elijah says yes and that he goes. If you read scripture, one of the things you'll find that the great men and women of God have in common is when God says go, they go. When God says go, they go. And Elijah is one of those people. Now, as I was reading this and preparing for this morning and just asking God, hey, what's in here for us? Like, how does this relate to, to us and our lives today in a very different culture in a very different time? God, God brought to my mind this, this truth that's become kind of the motto for my family at this season in our lives. See, there's these, these two huge moves that Elijah has to make. Two massive moves that Elijah has to make in this story. He goes from Samaria to Kareth. He goes from Kareth to Zarephath. He's on this journey, and he has to make these huge moves. He has to change everything. And there's one really simple reason that Elijah makes the moves that he makes. In fact, it's even simpler than, like, obedience to God. Why does Elijah make the moves that he makes in this story? And the answer is that he has to. He has to. Elijah leaves Samaria because he has to. King Ahab will kill him if he stays. Elijah leaves Kareth Brook because he has to. Because the water dries up. And he'll, he'll literally die of thirst if he stays there. He makes these moves because he, he has to. He has no other choice. My son Liam is really passionate about basketball. Um, I talk about that a decent bit. And if you come here for long, it will continue. As long as he is, is into that. And it's, it's funny I struggle with, with Liam because he's so much better than I ever was. So much better than I ever was. And it's actually kind of hard to teach him because we'll go into the yard and, and like, I'll, I'll show him something. Like, hey, try this. And then he'll do it once. And I'll go, yeah, like that. Just do that. In fact, this last week, he was off school. And on Monday, I was off work. Monday's my day off. And so uh, I took him and we went to this gym. Liam's seven years old. He just started the second grade. We go to this gym and there's another boy in the gym playing. And so Liam gets up the nerve to go ask this boy if he'll play with him. And this boy's much taller than Liam. Liam and him talk, and this boy's in the fifth grade. There's a big difference between a fifth grade boy and a second grade boy. And I was actually really excited because this kid said yes, and here's a fifth grade boy. He's in a gym. He's playing basketball. He's tall. He looks like a basketball player. He's wearing basketball clothes like he's equipped. And so I'm thinking this will be great because what I need to happen for Liam is I need to have him hit some walls so that when he hits these walls, I can coach him and say, Don't, this, this is a learning moment. This is a chance for you to learn how hard this is. And so this boy and Liam start playing. The only problem is Liam beat him um, 21 to 4. And so, in fact, when it was done, Liam went to use the restroom, and the boy came and sat next to me on the bleachers, and the boy went, it was a really weird moment because there's a fifth-grade boy and me, and he's like, is that your son? And I went, yeah. He went, he is really good. I was like, I know, you know. And so I'm, I'm sitting here going, man, I, I, and on one hand, I'm excited. On the other hand, I'm like, I really want, I, I want to be able to teach him things. And that's hard when it comes so easy to him. But one of the things that I have had the chance to teach him when we're outside playing together is that sometimes Liam will just decide in his mind ahead of time what he's going to do. Like he'll get it in his head. This happens a lot in life. It happens in sports for sure. But he gets it decided in his mind what he's going to do. And then he just tries to do that even if it's not open. And so he might decide, I'm just going to take it all the way to the basket and score, but I'm playing against him and I don't let him do that. And so I'm standing in front of him and rather than, than adjust and go somewhere else, he just keeps going with the plan and runs right into me and usually says I fouled him, um, but whatever. <laughs> and so there's this phrase that we've been teaching Liam as we, we practice and it's, it's really simple. It's take 
what the defense gives you. Sometimes, son, you have to take what the defense gives you. Sometimes you're trying to do this, and it's just not open. It's just not possible. And rather than just try to force it, you need to adjust. And if the defense is giving you left, go left. And if the defense is giving you right, go right. And if the defense is giving you the, the inside, take the inside. But, but don't, don't force it. Take what the defense gives you. It's something that we work with Liam a lot in, and it's become the motto of our family. Because right now, like, there's probably no phrase that Megan and I say to each other more often than take what the defense gives you. And when we say defense, we literally always mean our children right now. <laughs> They're the defense in our lives. You know, we've got three kids and another on the way, and, and there's these moments where Megan and I will set out to have a conversation, you know, to, to get something done. And we, we start, and it becomes very clear that our kids, the defense, is not going to let this happen right now. And there's times that I start to get really frustrated and really kind of upset even because I'm so determined to do what I set out to do and, and they're not allowing this to happen. Yesterday, we were driving from Nashville. We spent a few days in Nashville, Tennessee, did a kind of a conference thing. It was really great. And we're driving back, all of our kids in the back seat, and Megan and I were so excited to have a few hours to just discuss some things that we had learned and some things that had really inspired us. And every single time we start to talk, five words comes out and one of our kids screams, or cries, or yells, or, or just noises, just loud noises coming from the back. And, and at one point in time, they're watching a movie, and, and Liam kicked something that made the movie play weird, and we couldn't figure it out. It's just we could not have the conversation. And I was sitting here getting really frustrated, really upset that I just can't talk to my wife for five minutes. And that phrase hit me again. Take what the defense gives you. This is not the time. This is not the time to do this. What do we do when we encounter a closed door? Sometimes we need to go find a different door. Right? Sometimes we need to go find a door that's open rather than beat our heads against a door that has been closed. By the way, this is something that, that Jesus did in his life. Jesus is this amazing leader, and one of the things that all leaders have in common is that they're adaptable. And Jesus was highly adaptable in his life. We know this because when Jesus began to teach, when he first went public in his ministry, he taught in the synagogues. So, in, for example, in the book of Mark, Mark 1.21 says, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum, and when the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and he began to teach. In Mark 1.39, it says, So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. In Luke chapter 4, we get to see Jesus come forward as the Messiah. It's the first time that Jesus steps out and says, look, I'm the Messiah. And he does that in the synagogue, and it does not go well for Jesus. Luke 4.28 says, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. In Mark chapter 3, it says, Jesus went into the synagogue again, and he noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him close, closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. And then he turned to his critics and he asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. And he looked around at them angrily and he was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. And so the man held out his hand and it was restored. And at once the Pharisees went away and they met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Things did not go well for Jesus when he taught in the synagogues. He begins his ministry by teaching in the synagogues. 
Every single time you see him teaching, he's in the synagogues. And every single time he he tries to teach anything, he has to deal with all this anger and all this hatred because he's on the home turf of the Pharisees and it's just not working out. And so Jesus changes course. In Mark chapter 4, it says, Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. And then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables. So Jesus goes from teaching in the synagogues to teaching at the lake shore. He taught out and about in the public places. In fact, in the book of Mark, there's only one time after this moment where Jesus teaches in the synagogues. And the rest of the time you see him teaching, he's out teaching the people in public places, in the wilderness. And now when the Pharisees come to disrupt him, they're on Jesus' turf, not the other way around. See, what happened was, was Jesus realized that the door to the synagogues were closed. And so what did Jesus do? He took what the defense gave him. And rather than just beat his head in frustration in the synagogues, Jesus just went another way. And he went to the wilderness and he taught out and about with the people. And it completely and totally changed his ministry. Jesus was adaptable. When he found that there was a door that was closed, he just went to a different door. And and I know that on one hand, this can sound defeatist. Because there's part of us that says, no, no, when I encounter a closed door, I kick the door down. Right? When I encounter a closed door, I'm going to find a way through that door. I'm going to pick the lock. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get through that door. I'm not going to let some some door stand in my way. But what we've got to understand is that sometimes God is the one who shuts the doors. In the Old Testament, a prophet named Isaiah was prophesying about Jesus, as he often did. In Isaiah 22.22, it says, When he opens doors, no one will be able to close them. And when he closes doors, no one will be able to open them. I don't want to spend a second of my life trying to open a door God has shut. But I have spent a lot of time in my life frustrated, defeated, angry, disillusioned. Because I'm trying to get through a door that isn't going to open. There have been a lot of times in my life where I've, I've set out to do something, something I really want to do, something I want to see happen, things that I've wanted to see happen here. I thought it was good and I thought it was right and I put all my effort, all my energy, all my talent, time, whatever resources I have, I've given it to that. And then at some point in time, that door closes and I'm sitting there going, God, what in the heck? I mean, I've, I've done this. I've done it with good intentions. I've done it with the right spirit. I've worked really hard. Why is this door shut? But what I have to ask myself, what we all have to ask ourselves is this. Do I believe, do I believe that God has opened a door for me in life? Or do I believe that this door is the only one? You ask yourself today, do I believe that there's an open door for me in life, that God has a purpose for me, that God has a plan for me, that there's a relationship? Those of us who are single, there's a person that that God has set aside for me. Do I believe that there's a career? Do I believe that there's a, a job opportunity that is right for me? Because if you believe that, then when you encounter closed doors, Rather than bemoaning the fact that the door is shut, you'll get excited about the idea that there must be a better door that God has opened. When God says no, it's because he has a better yes. I believe that because I've experienced that in my life. I'll share this with you really quickly as we wrap up. When I was in college, I interned at a church. 
Um, sometimes people will ask me if I went to college to do this, and the answer is no. I am vastly underqualified for what I do, and I'm totally okay with that. So um, I went to college to, to study communication. And while I was in college, I interned at this church, and I loved it. I loved it. I still have a lot of really fond memories at that church. I'm still really grateful for the time I spent there. It taught me a lot. And I thought that was my place. I thought that was where I was going to be. I thought that's where I was meant to be. It seemed like it. Things were lining up that way. I was really close with the pastor, and everything seemed like it was just right. And then a door shut hard there. It was September of 2005. And the door shut hard. In fact, I felt like a door was slammed in my face. Part of that was because I was 21 and immature and very emotional, and I was making a big deal out of things that weren't really that big of a deal. Part of it's because it was kind of true. It was just one of those moments. But I felt like a door was slammed in my face, and I was so upset. I was, like, depressed. And it's interesting, because of that situation, it led me to take another job. It was just kind of a job that I was doing for a while, um, then there was a phone call that happened with a friend of mine who lived here. I was in Kansas City, Missouri at the time, and that phone call led to a conversation with a, a person who worked here at his hands, and, and that conversation led to me coming here to work with the youth, and I've been here for, for over 10 years now. And what's amazing is that his hands started in September of 2005. So here I am in Kansas City, and a door is shut and that door was shut, and I could not find a way through that shut door. And what I did not understand in that moment is that God shut that door because he opened this one. And had I spent two or three years trying to find my way through that door, trying to, to, to make a way into that closed door, I would have missed. I would have missed this. And this has changed my life. You guys have changed my life. What do we do when we encounter a closed door? We find an open door. We take a lesson out of Elijah's story, out of Jesus' story. When the brook dries up, don't sit there and go, God, why is my brook dried up? My brook! Don't do that. Go somewhere. Like when the, when the door shuts, believe in your heart that God has opened another one and then go for that. Even though it's hard, even though you work hard and you encounter challenges and it seems like doors are slamming in your face left and right. I have friends that are looking for work and it seems like doors are closing left and right. But there is an open door. There's always an open door because God has a plan, because God is powerful, because God is in control. And so just have faith that if there's a door shut in your face, there's a better door somewhere else and go there. And search for it because if you seek, you will find. That's what God says. What do we do? When our brooks dry up, we go somewhere else. We take what the defense gives us, and we trust God. And worship team, if you guys want to come out, we'll close and wrap up this morning. Um, I, want to, I want to finish by saying one, one thing about doors. There's one door. There's one door in our lives that we have control over. Because a lot of them we don't, Right? A lot of those experiences in life, maybe our careers, even our relationships, even people we love, we're not in control of other people. We can't change the way they feel, the, the things they do. We can't do that. We can't control that. So sometimes doors are shut in our lives that we wish weren't, but we have no say in the matter. But there's one door that we always have say over, and that's the door of our hearts. And we have control over, over us. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says that he stands at the door and he knocks, and if we'll open it up, he will come in. And we'll share a meal together. We'll have a relationship. And so if you're here today 
You know, there might be a lot of doors you're thinking of right now. It might be a door in your relationship. It might be a door in your career. It might be a door in some other aspect of life, your finances, whatever it is. And, and you, you've been frustrated for a while that that door is either shut or shutting. I want you to leave today with hope and with faith that there is an open door for you that God has intended for you and that you will walk through that door and that it will be better than what you could have possibly imagined. But there is one door that you have total control over. That's the door of you, your heart, your mind. And I just want to encourage you today, all of us today, that if that door has been shut to God, for whatever reason, and sometimes our reasons for shutting those doors are really good, they're valid, but open that door. Open that door. Let God in. Say to God as we sing this last worship song together, God, come into my heart. Change me from the inside out. Make me the person that you created me to be. My life, my heart, it's open to you. Come reign in my heart. Come sit on the throne of my life, Lord. If you will pray that, if you will open the door of your life to God and let him in, he will come in. He will change you. He will transform you. And I'm telling you, he will show you the doors that you're meant to walk through. That's what he does. He's so good. And all you have to do is open yourself to him. Let's pray, and let's worship, and let's have an amazing day. Father God, I want to thank you so much for this incredible group of people. And God, we, we live life, and, and sometimes doors get shut on us that we wish wouldn't. Sometimes, Lord, we, we can't seem to figure out what's going on. It just feels like everywhere we go, we're getting blocked, and, and things aren't working out the way we'd like them to be. But God, we ask this morning that you would give us faith that we would have faith and hope and, and trust in the fact that you are the one who shuts doors. You are the one who opens them. And if you open a door for us, there's nothing in the world that can stop it. But if you shut a door in our life, then nothing we can do can really open it. And so help us be people like Elijah who get up and, and move when our brooks dry up. Help us be people like Elijah who, who are adaptable. Help us be people like Jesus who take what the defense gives us and it makes the best of, of what we're given. We pray all this in your name, Lord. We pray that you be with us this week, that you be with our community and everyone we encounter, that we would be people who bring your love to every person we interact with, Lord. We love you. We love this world that we're part of. Help us change it. And we ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.